Wait, you're how old? This week on the Knowing God Podcast. All right, welcome back. My name is John. And I am Caleb Rowland. This is another episode of the Knowing God podcast, continuing a discussion we started last week on the issue of revitalization, church revitalization. Part two. This is part two. We're going to be looking at really part three next week on the issue of church planting, which is kind of another side of the same coin. Uh, But this week, and, and so we really wanted to get into some of the practicality and just get right into this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully as a lead in, hopefully you've listened to last week's, if you haven't be a good opportunity to stop this now and actually listen to last week's discussion. Cause I think it sets the table really well for how we're going to do this. Agreed. And we want your views. So <laughs> like subscribe, everything else down below, do that too. And, and comments. Yes. Are very, very awesome. helpful feedback as well. Um, so let's, let's get into a little bit of, you know, the how, um, and we, we kind of teased us a little bit at the end of our conversation last week, but let's get straight into this now and talk a little bit about just when we think about church revitalization, we're talking about a U-turn, a, a, a change of direction, you know, that there is a church that's going into decline, and then there is a, an inflection point of something, and then you see a, a return back to growth and flourishing. Correct. And, and that's what we're chasing. That's what revitalization is really all about. Right. And it's often churches who have been around the community for years, decades, I mean, generations. You right. know, you're talking about churches sometimes that might have a hundred year history that are, you know, in decline, that maybe have been in decline for a while. Or you could be talking about churches that, you know, aren't very old at all. Maybe they've, you know, yeah. peaked in the 90s, you know, yeah. and even though the 90s was a long time ago now. But either way, you know, sure. that uh, there's a, a spectrum that you can talk about when you talk about churches. De- definitely churches. a spectrum. So, you know, why do we care about this? We mentioned that, you know, this is a stewardship issue last mm-hmm. week. Uh, another thing that we could say as far as the why is is churches have reputations in a community. Yes. You know, the, the there is a return, especially post-COVID, to this idea of the neighborhood church being a, an, a, just an essential part of mm-hmm. um, just a neighborhood's witness and neighborhood's, you know, um, kind of just culture. And, and so churches, you know, one of the things I always like to tell our church, and it's not original to me, is that your address is not an accident, mm-hmm. that, that God has placed our church here specifically in this location for a specific purpose. And so we do have a reputation in our community. And as churches begin to decline, they become more and more irrelevant. And sometimes churches do things to anger the community. Right. Uh, sometimes churches do things to make themselves, you know, kind of cut off from the community. They don't look like their community anymore, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and so when we come to revitalization and this topic, we're really kind of thinking about, you know, what is the reputation of the church? Has it been soured? What are ways to return the church to a place and a position of strength mm-hmm. and an asset in the community? You know, and that's always going to come back to, you know, what are you doing for the people in your community? Absolutely. And uh, just and I think to recognize that Mm. people have baggage sometimes, especially if you're an older established church. Uh, I think it's four out of 10 individuals from uh, a Barna study in 2015 said that they um, don't go to church because of hurt from a past congregation. Right. You know, and so um, if you've been established in a community, there's probably some people out there who are a little salty. 
I mean, there's probably some people out there and maybe it's, you know, not fully your fault. I understand that. But um, whenever we talk about reputation, that's a big thing, right? And if Mm -hmm. you've been there, you probably have some people who are detracting, some people who are not necessarily thrilled about your church Mm -hmm. and probably wouldn't shed a tear if your church shut its doors. And that is something that um, a group of revitalizers has to address, right? Is what is your witness in the community? What does that look like? Yep. Another thing that I I love about revitalization is being being a pastor in a church that, that has needed revitalization. I see this as a way to shepherd our people from going to a place of focus, of great commission emphasis. And again, I mean, if you know anything about our church here, this has been a great commission church. You know, Metropolitan has had a vibrant witness in our city um, for many, many decades Mm -hmm. and and has been a church of really a stellar reputation. And so my desire is to kind of take that and pay that forward and continue to push that forward. Um, But our church was in decline when I got here. Mm -hmm. and, And that's that's you know not anything that's we're not going to say that that's a particular person's fault or no. anything. It just happens. Right. It, it is the reality of the way things go, and so one of the things I want to see is is you know the church is more about what uh, you can do and, and how you can join in what God is doing in your community uh, instead of just being a place of your personal preferences. Where Correct. Those kind of are are the that is really what church is about. It's about me and what I want. And, and you've got to shepherd people through that transition, and that can be very, very difficult. Definitely. And so um, if you are out there listening to this in whatever church, um, don't make your pastors choose between uh, reaching the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and your preferences. Because so many times that's often uh, what uh, leads to decline in the church, right? Yeah. It's just, I like those, this the way this is, is comfortable, everything is fine. But honestly, if that was reaching people, people would be reached, right? I mean, you've been doing things that way for 40 years. I mean, and if that was really being effective, then Mm -hmm. churches wouldn't be declining. So there's a certain level of rethinking that we have to do there. And that's kind of what we're going to get into now, the how. How do we need to rethink? What are the actual practical steps that people can take, churches can take, members can take to be able to revitalize churches? So the first thing I would say in terms of the how is, especially for the pastor, is you have to pray, you have to preach, and you have to stay. Mm -hmm. And those three, I think, are, are just critical. Right. You, you've got to be a praying pastor. You've got to call your church into a season of dependence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that we need to be more about what Jesus wants our church to be rather than what we want our church to be like. Yeah. You know, that he is the one ultimately that calls the shots, that the Great Commission is not a suggestion. Mm-hmm. It, it is a Great Commission. Right. It is the imperative for how the church is to behave and to operate and structure its ministries. Correct. And, and so that does require a continual uh, prayer and dependence, but also a preaching and proclamation of that truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think sometimes, you know, pastors might come into a revitalization context and they think it's going to be really, really fast and they think it's going to be really, really easy. And so if you're a pastor getting ready to go into one of these churches, I just want to tell you it is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and so it is going to be, at times, brutal. Right. Uh, it just is. It is. It's it's like doing physical therapy, right? right. I, mean, I uh, had an injury this last year and had to do a lot of physical therapy. And um, there was kind of two options. It was either let my leg atrophy and not be able to use it anymore and kind mm-hmm. of lose functionality and lose its purpose, or go through a pretty considerable amount of pain over an extended mm-hmm. period of time to be able to have it work and function as it was supposed to function. And so um, in the same with church revitalization is that uh, 
it's atrophied, right? There's there's an issue there. There's mm-hmm. some rebuilding that needs to be done. There's some physical therapy that's going to have to take place. There's going to be some bending in some different ways and some stretching that maybe the body's not used to. But all of those things are required in order to get that limb back to a place of health, in order to get that body back right. to a place where it is fully functional, where it is healthy and operating in the way it's supposed to. And, and I would say, too, for the pastor that's in a revo- revitalization context, he, he has to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to be resilient. Right. You know, and, and it's really easy to get frustrated and say, I'm out. Right. Um, another thing, though, is it's, it's kind of the demeanor and how you stay. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one thing to kind of just stay and just like grit your teeth and we're just going to go through this. We're going to make a bunch of people mad and, you know, right. whatever. It's the way it is. And you get really cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to stay with a soft heart. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're still, a, you're still called to be a pastor. Yes. You're still called to be a tender shepherd, not a cynical, let's just beat the sheep into submission kind of staying. Correct, correct. And so like keeping that heart posture correct. And then in the same time, um, in that loving way, in that mm-hmm. tender way, calling people and letting them see that this is an urgent matter, right? Because right. a church, uh, you know, revitalization, even though it takes a long time, it has to start as quickly as possible. That's because right. Because of the length of the process required that if you're going to revitalize a church, the time to do it is now. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was uh, Paul David Tripp who said the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The <laughs> second best time to do it is today. Well, that's you good. Know? And so it's just like you could like, yes, it would have been great if we would have picked up on this, you know, in the past, but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. What we can do now is start today. Start yes. today and do it now. So what you're talking about is, you know, kind of point number two that we have here is establishing a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be done in a variety of ways. You know, it can be looking at, you know, here's where our metrics were, you know, our, our numbers were in the past. Here's where we are today. And sometimes, you know, taking that stark difference of, you know, membership, you know, database, here, here's how many members we had. And then 20 years later, here's who we have, you know, being confronted with that reality. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people are jolted by that and right. say, I had no idea. Um, and, and sometimes that can happen so slowly that you don't even notice. Correct. Uh, and, and so we have to, as pastors, give a sense of urgency. You know, one of the things that I had to do in my first year it was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But I had to sit in front of the church and say, okay, we have 18 months of living the way we're doing and doing church the way we're doing it until we enter into financial ruin and insolvency. You got 18 months. So that demands some change. And that did, you know, mm-hmm. kind of arouse some people to change and to right. see a sense of urgency. So Absolutely. you, you got to paint that picture. You definitely do. And I think that that's the, um, that's one of the difficult things. Like you said, that's the first, you know, that was the first year you were here. Right. And so, uh, that's that resilientness that pastors need. And then the, um, sense of recept, uh, receptivity that the congregation needs, right? So if right. you're watching this as part of a congregation, um, there's going to be things that you don't like, but you need to be open and receptive to that outside perspective. And uh, I think that's really important. And so then uh, what would the next thing would be that we need to define the present reality, right? right? But then also be a voice of hope. Because like I just said, uh, defining uh, the sense of urgency sometimes can be almost like doom and gloom, doomsday, you know, like sure. we're all going to die. But then you also have to give them that sense of hope. So how does that work? You know, I I think a, a real practical way of doing that is, um, you know, identify things that are going really, really well. In any mm-hmm. church, you're going to have some things that have momentum. Right. You know, some things don't, but some things do. And so you can call attention. And so I always tell our staff, you become who you celebrate. Right. Or you become what you celebrate. You know, so for example, if we have a, a really successful vacation Bible school, that we are reaching families and mm-hmm. community in our community, 
you know, in families that don't have any connection whatsoever to our church? Or do we celebrate, you know, church events? You know, this last week we had a 4th of July picnic. We had a lot of people here, a lot of new people too, a lot of people that were you know, honestly, not as connected to our church before, but hopefully events like that, you can call attention to that and say, look at some of the things that we're doing. Correct. Uh, so calling attention to that hope, calling attention to that reality, you have to do both. And if you don't do both, I, I think if you only focus on the present reality, you sound like Eeyore. Right. You know, and you kind of depress people. <laughs> exactly. If all you do, though, is give people hope, I think you're being rather Pollyanna. Correct. And, and you're not being really kind of true to the reality that exists today. So you mm-hmm. got to do both. You do. And striking that balance can be difficult, and um, and it will be painful because, again, uh, there's going to be, you know, we often call them sacred cows. You know, right. there might be some ministries that people really love and maybe have invested a lot of energy into, and they're just not effective anymore. And they're, mm-hmm. they're just not accomplishing their purpose. Maybe they've dwindled down and there's, you know, hardly anybody as a part of that ministry. And it's going to be difficult because, you know, it doesn't mean that it wasn't good at one point. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it wasn't once beautiful. It doesn't mean that it didn't have an impact for the kingdom. It just means that in the present time, mm-hmm. it's it's, it's not effective. It's not working. There needs to be something that happens. And sometimes that can be the hardest things for people. That, that is, man, that is so hard. And the, and the way you kind of get over that hump, I think, is you have to cast a vision mm. for a greater tomorrow. Right. You know, you as the pastor really do have to try to define that for people and to go back to that. So, you know, one mm. of the pictures that we've used here that I've used occasionally, and it's and it's rather trite and it's cliche, but it's the idea of a handoff, right. you know, where we have a, a generation of saints that have run and run and run and been faithful. And so they have to make that transition. They have to hand that baton off to the next person in the relay mm. to take that baton and run it with endurance. Right. Um, I, I think sometimes though, when we use images like that, and, and, and I've heard this and felt this in our church, and if you're part of our church and listening to this, you're probably listening for carefully to what I say right now, and and I might get myself in a little bit of trouble. That doesn't mean, though, that when you release the baton that you go sit in the stands and say, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just, it's over now. Right. I, I'm irrelevant. I'm old. No, there's a continuation of coaching, mm-hmm. of mentorship, of empowerment, of equipping, of supporting, you know, and it's like when that happens, I think revitalization can indeed happen and does happen because you have this championing of this new generation. So you, you got to define that picture of what uh, the better future looks like. Yes. Another thing you have to do in that is you have to uh, help people to see that there may have been a season in the church that, you know, the church was very, very vibrant and very, mm-hmm. very healthy. And, and there's going to be a kind of this gravitational pull to go back to yesteryear. Right. You know, back when Brother Bill was here, you right. know, and and the church was vibrant. And, and, and you can get so focused on the past, you can miss the present reality and the future that God has for your church today. Definitely. And I think that we all have to be careful. All of us who have been believers for any amount of time, we are all very prone to turning inward, yes. to turning in, to thinking that the best type of ministry is the type of ministry that I came to salvation under. The best type of worship is the kind that I had whenever I was, you know, learning how to play yes. an instrument or, or something like that. And uh, the the danger is that um, the older we get, the less willing we are to adapt. And that's I think a really difficult thing. And that's not just age; that's the more time we've spent in Christianity in general. And it's really sad because sometimes you know, I've seen uh, people who come to Christ and at the 
whatever, and they're just on fire. And they're like, you just tell me what I need to do. Like, what's going to be the way that we reach people that my life, that other people's lives can be transformed in the same way that my life was transformed. And the the methodology is much less important than the message that's going out. But unfortunately, as we get older, sometimes it becomes the methodology are the things that we really value and hold dear. And it's the message that's sometimes lost in the middle of that. Yep. And so, you know, the the next thing I would say in kind of light of that point is if you're a a revitalization pastor, you have to lead people through change. Mm. You know, the world is changing. It's changed a lot since March 2020. And you have to be able to lead people through that change. And that's going to be very, very difficult. It is. You know, change is a psychological, um, you know, pinch point, right. pain point for a lot of people. And I think churches can kind of really fall victim to this. That everything else is changing in my life. Don't change my church, right? right? And so there can be a real resistance. And so you have to be able to define what is tradition. Mm-hmm. Okay, tradition is very, very strong. And church tradition and church doctrine and traditional beliefs of orthodoxy, you know, you got to focus on that. Yes. What is traditionalism? Right. And and I think a lot of times, you know, it's kind of we we mistake the message for the methods mm-hmm. and we get so fixed on the methods that we become resistant to changing the methods because we think that that's going to change the message. Correct. They are um, intertwined. They're kind of inseparable sometimes in our mind. And I think that that's we have to. Um, we have to remove those two things from each other and say, is the message going forward in a way that is um, clear, that is consistent with Scripture, that is consistent with the tradition, uh, you know, the, the long tradition of Christian history, but at the same time, that might not be like I'm used to. Because if it was, you know, like original traditionalism, we'd still be all doing Gregorian chants. Everything would still That's be right. Latin. We'd still be, you know, I mean, like this would be a very different, I mean, things have changed over yeah. time. Uh, and so we have to realize that. And tradition and, and traditionalism, I should say mm-hmm. too, I mean, that is very powerful and, and, and it can be formative. Like mm-hmm. we don't want to say that all traditions that churches have are bad. No, absolutely. And we love hymns and we do a lot of hymns here. And I think yeah. you know, even new church plants like specifically can still value, you know, those uh, those hymnity and the way that things were in some of those ways. But that doesn't mean that that's the only way. That doesn't mean that that's the only exactly. way. Exactly. Or, and I'm going to step on some toes when I say this, the hymnal is not mm. the inspired word of God. Correct. You know, and, and sometimes I think that mistake can be made where it's like, well, we sang it this way when I was this old, and I have, you know, fond memories when I would go to grandma's church and, you know, rural Oklahoma, whatever right. here. And that's the way that that has to be sung. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not necessarily true. No, no, not at all. And so I, I think that that's a difficult thing for pastors is that we have to lead them through that change. You have mm-hmm. to be the, the voice that says, um, I understand, I love you. I care about you. I value your opinion, but this is where we have to go. And a, and a part of that is going to come back to your role as a shepherd mm-hmm. in having relational intentionality. Yeah, you know, uh, the, there is always going to be a, a, a way for pastors to build bridges to lead people through this change. This is not just a carte blanche, you know, ultimatum change or else, right? right? I mean, you're bringing people through this, and that will be slow, and that requires some degree of relational intentionality, mm-hmm. and that's also going to be, uh, I think, focused intently on building new leaders. Yes, and building new uh, new people and bringing new people in, uh, which is a big part of church planting. Of it course, is. talk about right. that next week. But bringing new people along and, and cultivating leadership, and even letting go of some things, maybe the 
the power group has to let go of some of their power to see that transition take place. Absolutely. It, it has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. It does. It does. And I think that that's, you know, um, for whoever is in the congregation, so important because if they can see, uh, for example, you know, that building up new leaders, those building intentional relationships and seeing those things happen, then, I mean, whenever a grandparent's grandchild comes mm-hmm. to know the Lord who is far from Christ, then... That softens a grandparent's heart a little bit to Boy, say, you know, it. like, oh, you know, maybe we didn't sing the hymn exactly like we used yeah. to sing it. But for some reason, my grandchild has now found a place and not just a place, but, you know, they mm-hmm. feel like they can actually have ownership in a ministry, like they can have leadership in an area uh, of ministry, which is, a you know, diametric change from where they used to be. So whenever we see those things start to happen, I think that even some of the, the staunchest traditionalists can maybe have their hearts softened and changed whenever we have those relationships that are really intentional and that are really life changing. So. Yeah. And, and, and just again, just speaking to pastors that are going through this. There are going to be some in your congregation that will not make this mm-hmm. change, and and that may be okay. Yeah. You know, in a sense, you know, we hate to lose people. We hate to we see do. people leave our church. I mean, we're all pastors. We're all people, and that hurts on a on a emotional level. Yes, but there there may be some out counseling that needs to take place. You know, and that sounds really mean, but it's not intended to be. It's a way to shepherd and say, you know, maybe this is the direction that you need to go, but. The win is when those people, like you just described, are the staunch traditionalists, and they can see the validity, they can see the new health, the new mm-hmm. fruit on the vine. They can become some of your biggest fans. Absolutely, and it's beautiful when that happens because um, you know that's one thing as a church plant right now that as we're gathering people and we're kind of gathering, uh, you know, the, those who are going to be part of our core team as we're looking and saying we are really young, yeah, which is great, but also. It would be nice to have some senior saints who would say, like, yes, we'll come with you. Yes, we'll commit to this. And so I think that's just so beautiful when you can see that happen, right? Last thing I would say, and this kind of covers everything, is uh, this is not my expression. This is Mark Clifton's words, but having tactical patience. Mm. I think you you have to, as a church revitalizer, revitalizer, have some degree of tactical patience. There are you know, a hundred things that need to change, Mm -hmm. but it might be, hey, this needs to change today. This needs to really change tomorrow. And so wisdom, I think, is appropriated here as far as, okay, what needs to change now Mm -hmm. and what can perhaps wait as we evolve and change as a church? Absolutely. And those waters can sometimes be murky. So for pastors and congregants, just know that not everything's going to be right. Not going to get everything right the first time. There's still going to be, you know, your pastor's knocking about a thousand. Not every idea is going to go over well. Not every outreach is going to bring in the masses. Not every change is going to result in, you know, this instant or even, you know, eventual, um, you know, reunification of all the things that you are imagining. But um, things can't stay the same. Yeah, They, they can't stay the same or death will occur. Yeah. So, like— Yes, change is going to happen. It's not always going to be perfect. It is going to be messy. So pastors have tactical patience, and the same for people who are in the congregation. Have patience. Wait to see what God could do. Mm-hmm. That might be a new thing. It might be a little uncomfortable, but it could be beautiful. Yeah, I, I think that's a great place to end it. Uh, we could talk a lot about this, as it's, you know, it's obvious in our conversation the last mm-hmm. two weeks. But I think just calling everybody to a to a state and a and a mindset of grace, mm. you know, gospel grace, and having grace to your pastor, having grace in the church, that grace would really be the defining 
attribute of health, you know, in our churches. And, and that can be a very, very beautiful thing. Really so can. I hope this has been helpful to you. The last two weeks we talked about revitalization. Next week we're going to be talking about church planting, which will be in many ways a continuation of what we've been looking at. So Correct. join us next week. We love you. Thank you so much.